Well, hey, good to see everyone today. Welcome, welcome. I'm glad you made it to Centerpoint Church, and it's been a, it's been a good time already in what God has been doing. And if you're joining us online or on the patio, I want to make sure and say hello and glad that we can be together today. Okay, so my wife and I were coming back from somewhere. I don't remember where. It was just before COVID broke out about a year and a half ago, something like that. And uh, our plane, you know, went through Las Vegas, and we had to switch planes for the last trip and, and uh, got on another plane from Vegas coming home. And uh, I was sitting on the plane next to a stranger, struck up a conversation with this guy, and uh, I was asking him what he was doing in Vegas. That's kind of a dangerous question, I guess, looking back on it. But uh, he, he said he was there for uh, the boxing championship. He said, I was there for the world-class lightweight boxing championship. And I said, oh, wow, so you're a big fan, you, you love that kind of thing? He said, no, I'm a fighter. I was in the ring, and I won it. And then he pulled out his phone, and he showed me pictures of him in the ring, and then pictures of him with the, this big old buckle, belt buckle, you know, the big huge one. And, and he's talking about, I won the world-class lightweight boxing championship. And I, I was kind of amazed. I'm like, wow, I'm sitting next to a world-class boxing champion, except it was the lightweight, which is, uh, <laughs> it kept running through my mind. I was thinking... Bro, isn't it kind of lame, though, that from now on you are known as the official lightweight champion? Like, like I'm the biggest of the not-so-big dudes. That's what, that's what that means. I don't know. Anyway, I, I held those thoughts to myself, and uh, I did ask him some questions. I was asking him, I was like, what, you know, what's it like to be a fighter? What is it like to train for a championship like this? And then I'm asking him, um, you know, what about when you go in the ring? I'm I'm, I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's got like to get you, you know, kind of stirred up. Do you ever feel worried? Do you ever feel afraid? Do you ever feel worried, like, what if I get knocked out in this fight? Or uh, worried, like, what if this guy turns out to be too big for me and I can't take him? Or worried that what if it goes 12 rounds and you just lose your energy? Do you ever have those kinds of thoughts? Do you ever get worried like that before a fight? And he said, it's funny that you should ask that because in this tournament that I was here for, the first night... I did feel all of that stuff. I was worried, and I was, because I was all worried, I got stirred up, I was uh, tense, I was feeling angry, I was feeling distracted, and I felt kind of crazy, all because of all of that worry that was going through me before the fight, and as a result, I fought bad and I lost. He said, but the final match, he said, I, I was in my right headspace, and I was calm, and I was not worried about any of that stuff. And as a result, when I got in the ring, I, I was calm, I was able to observe, I was able to see clearly, and I was able to choose my moves rather than just react. And because of that, I had, I had a kind of a peace even while I was in the ring. And it wasn't about any kind of anger. It was about skill. And it was about choosing what I wanted to do next. And because of that, and he pulled his phone back out, pointed to that big old belt buckle, I won. <laughs> he said, I won that fight because I was in the flow. And I loved that, that statement that he made. I won that fight because I was in the flow. And, and I wanted to just simply say today that... For every one of us who's got a fight that we're in, and probably a lot of us are in a kind of a fight, one fight or another. Maybe we're, we're fighting for our family to stay together. Or maybe we're fighting for what's going to happen next in the lives of our kids. Or maybe we're fighting for getting things in order financially. Or maybe we're fighting for that dream that we finally had the courage to dive 
into. Whatever that fight is, when you can experience a flow of the peace of God, you are in a much better place to win that fight. Because when you have peace, you have power. Because peace is one of the foundational elements of the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17 says this. It says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so when you have peace, you have one of the foundational elements of the kingdom of God, and that means you have power. And I want you to be able to receive and have that peace. And and I want you to know it actually is something that comes from Jesus. Jesus said it like this. Jesus in John 14, 27. These are his words. He says, actually, why don't you awaken your brain with me and say it out loud right off the screen. Ready? Let's say it together when it gets there. Any minute now, we're going to read that verse off the screen. John, there it is. Ready? Go. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Write write one more time, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. This is something Jesus has in mind for all of us as his disciples. To receive from him a peace that surpasses understanding. To receive from him a peace that is able to give us kingdom power so that we can have a kingdom flow for whatever fight we're facing, so that we can win. Because when we're in touch with the peace of Jesus, we're in touch with the victory that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that brings about our entry into victory. So I I want us to take some time today to turn to God's word in Matthew chapter six. And as you're making your way over to Matthew chapter six, uh, we're going to jump in just a moment to Matthew 6.25, but as you're turning there, uh, I want to just say thank you, because uh, a, a bunch of you, after the message last week, you sent me uh, DM messages of you on the Old Town Swing in Murrieta. You sent me pictures of yourself on a playground swing. Uh, some of you sent me memes of some 90-year-old dude doing a flip off of a swing. I, I saw that one, too. I got it, too. Anyway, thank you. But, but I realized that after last week, uh, we, we embraced that message from Matthew 18.4, that, that we're going to assume the the humble position of a child. We talked about that last week. I hope you'll catch that message if you missed it. But I recognize this, that for a lot of us, we might have come away from last week's message thinking about, okay, childlike faith, that's great. But the truth is, I'm, I'm, I've got adult-sized stuff going on in my life. I've got real concerns about stuff that really matters. Like, what's going to happen with uh, my, my family? And what's, what's going to happen with my business and my job? And, and the list goes on and on. And those things are real things. But the, the, the problem is, if we let those things, they can become peace killers. And so we need a resolve that can help us to confront the worry that would otherwise kill our peace. So here's the message today, kind of in a nutshell. And, and I want you to just embrace this and let it, let it soak in today. But it's just simply this. I'll shift the what if and I'll swap worry for worship. I want you to just say it with me one time. It's the main idea of this message. It'll help you kind of track with me for the next, what, I don't know, 18 minutes. Ready, say it, go. I'll shift my what if 
and I'll swap my worry for worship. I'll shift my what if, and I'll swap my worry for worship. Okay, so we're turning to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus is laying down uh, classic Jesus uh, stuff, like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, and uh, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth, and blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. It's all of those kinds of things. It's the Sermon on the Mount we're jumping into a section of. And it's almost as though Jesus can see where people are coming from. Like that they're thinking maybe something like, wow, Jesus, all of this God stuff sounds great, but, but what about all the problems in my life? What about all my worries, right? And then into that moment, Jesus says these words. Okay, now, Matthew 6, 25, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing. Yet, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So Jesus in this moment he is asking some poignant questions. And I want to make sure that you saw some of the poignant questions. One of the questions is, he's saying, birds, look at the birds. I mean, and God's taking care of them. And then the question is, and don't you know you're far more valuable than they are? And, and what a question. Can you let Jesus ask you that question today? Right? You, I know you're worried about a lot of stuff and your heart's and knots inside of you because of things that are giving you pressure. But, but it's like as though Jesus is saying, yeah, can you just think about birds and how God's taking care of them? And don't you know that you're so much more valuable to your heavenly father than even the birds he's already clearly taken care of? Do you know how valuable you are to your heavenly father? That's the heart of that question. Do you hear it? That's Father asking that. Don't you know how valuable you are to the Lord? And the next question, it's just so poignant. He asks, can, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And you know it's rhetorical. <laughs> and, and so let's think about that question, though. He says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And the truth is, absolutely, no, they can't. But what they can do is they can subtract from every moment of your life. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that what worries do? Don't they subtract from the moments? And worry does it. Worry can subtract from every moment of your life. It'll subtract the joy. It'll subtract the sense of calm. It'll subtract the sense of the enjoyment of God's presence. It'll subtract your confidence. It'll subtract your enjoyment of the security that's actually yours in the Lord. It'll subtract your ability to trust God for a, a good outcome in the future. Will all your worries add anything? The answer is no, no, no. In fact, they'll subtract. Worry will even subtract from your physical health. You all know this. When you worry, and I mean, there's documented studies, one upon the other, that showcase this. When you worry, your body becomes flooded with cortisol, the stress hormone. Your blood pressure rises. You, you get COPD. You get heart disease. You get uh, obesity. All of these things that uh, stem from and can stem from just simply not doing what Jesus asked of us when he said, don't worry. And he asked that question, 
why do you have so little faith? That was another poignant question he asked. Right, so we got, don't you know how valuable you are? That's one question. We got, can your worries add anything to your life? The answer is no. And then Jesus says, and why do you have so little faith? I want you to look at somebody sitting right next to you and say, why do you have so little faith? Just say that to them. You don't want to, don't, do you? Because it feels like a mean question, doesn't it? <laughs> See, Jesus doesn't mind sometimes getting in our face a little bit. Jesus doesn't mind sometimes pushing us. But when he asks this question, why do you have so little faith? It's like Jesus is saying, hey, where's your wonder switch? Remember wonder switch, wonder switch. I wonder what God's going to do, right? Why do you have so little faith? And in this moment, Jesus is making a correlation between worry and faith. Because there is one. When we're worrying, we are expressing a faith statement. It's just faith in the worst possible thing. Right? When you're worrying, you're thinking about an unknown future and you're imagining the worst possible outcome. That is a faith proposition. Do you see that? And and so when Jesus says, why do you have so little faith? He's talking about why do you have so little of the right kind of faith? Faith in who your God is as your heavenly father who is faithful to you. Why do you have so little faith? When we ask the question, what if, right? What if, I, what if I lose my job? And what if they, they come after me with this thing? And what if I get this diagnosis from the doctor? And what if this happens to my family? And on and on. What if I get the double mutant variation of COVID-19 in 2021? Right? Like we, we can fill in the blanks with all kinds of crazy what ifs. And when we do that, we are expressing a kind of a faith. It's just faith in the worst possible thing rather than faith in the best possible one in the universe. Almighty God, your heavenly Father who loves you. We need to shift the what if. And instead of asking in moments of our lives, what if the worst possible thing happens? Shift the what if. Ask, what if God does something amazing? What if God is actually as good as the word of God says he is? What if he remains faithful even when we are faithless? What if it's actually true that God works all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purposes? Romans 8, 28. What if I can actually do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Philippians 4, 13. What if he is good and his love endures forever? Even when I don't know if I'm worthy of that love, he's still willing to give it. What if God does something amazing? I want you to just say this with me. What if God does something amazing? Say it. What if God does something amazing? Next time you find yourself in that moment thinking to yourself, what if the worst possible thing happens? I want you to shift the what if. And ask it like this. Flip it. Shift that what if. Wait, hold on. What if God does something absolutely amazing? Yeah, I know I've laid out all of the worst case scenarios and I've been ruminating on them. I've been stewing on them. I've been thinking about them, giving no credit to God, by the way, when I do that. What if I shift the what if and as I look at those things, I go, ah, but what if God does something amazing? That's what we need to do. We need to be able to shift the what if. All right, Matthew 6, 31, let me keep reading. He says, so don't worry about these things. This is a direct command from your Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? Could you underline that? That's why I'm emphasizing this message, because I think you want to be followers of Jesus, and I have enough conversations with enough of us that I I recognize this is something that a lot of us are just deciding not to follow Jesus on. (laughs) So I'm telling you what he said. Don't worry about these things, saying, what do we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? 
These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about these things, he said. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. What, what, what Jesus invited you and I into in this moment, uh, in verse, uh, sorry, one more time, verse 33. I want actually, I want for all of you to read this verse out loud with me. Ready? Say it. Go. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. When Jesus gives this invitation to us to seek the kingdom of, of God above all else, he's inviting us into a lifestyle of worship. Because when you are seeking the kingdom of God, at the heart of that, it's about seeking the king. And when you're seeking the king, it's because you recognize his worth, his value as king of your life. And when you do this, your mind gets changed. At least it should. If I'm really going to seek the kingdom of God above all else, and I'm really going to seek the king of the kingdom because I know how worthy and valuable he is, my mindset changes. Did you hear the words that Jesus spoke? He said, yeah, all this worry, those thoughts, these are his words, those thoughts dominate the minds of unbelievers. Did you see that? Maybe you should underline it. A running a track full of worries about everything that can go wrong and what's not going to be enough. Jesus said, those thoughts dominate the minds of unbelievers. But when you live a lifestyle of worship, you have your thoughts dominated differently. You get to experience your thoughts being dominated by the, by the thought of God's faithfulness. You get to have your thoughts dominated by a thought of God's goodness and unfailing love. You get to have your thoughts dominated by a sense of God's majesty and mercy. You get to have your thoughts dominated by the reality of the truth of who God is as the ultimate one in charge. You get to have your thoughts dominated by a sense of how God's strength is able to come and lift you up. You get to have your thoughts dominated by a thought of how good he has been to you and therefore will be to you. You. Come on, somebody say amen. This is, this is what we get to do. We get to seek the kingdom of God and seeking the king of the kingdom because we recognize how worthy he is. We get to have our thoughts dominated differently. And when your thoughts are dominated, like I just said, there's not much room for worry. But, but for somebody else, verse 33, one more time, I just got to make sure that you see this. It said, Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. This is the message for somebody today. Jesus is looking at your life right now and he's saying, live righteously. And I think for some of us, what we need to do is we need to take stock of what's going on. And, and we need to recognize that some of the things that we're, we're starting to drift into or get used to or just stick with are not from God. It's unholy, it's sinful, it's unrighteous. And in this moment, it's like as though Jesus is saying, if you really want to be delivered from your worries, you're also going to need to look at what's going on in your life and make some adjustments and live righteously. Change some things up if you need to. This is God's wake-up call to you, to repent of your sin, to turn from the evil, and to come into the reality of his goodness. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, I want to make sure that we read this together in verse 33 one more time. Say it with me. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Everything you need. 
He's able to do this. He's willing to do this. He's, he's got the ability to do it. Verse 34, though, it said this. So, verse 34. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I want, I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. In a sense, Jesus is recognizing that when we worry, what we're actually doing is we're engaging in some kind of crazy magical thinking. Worthless magical thinking where we're sort of trying to transport ourselves magically into some unknown time in the future that is not our responsibility. It's God's. And we're trying to sort of magically transport ourselves into some unknown time in the future and take responsibility for the outcomes as though it were up to us. And Jesus is saying, I want you to stay right here in the here and now. I want you to stay in the present I want you to stay present in this moment. And oh, by the way, I want you to look around in this present moment. And if you would, you'd see the signs of God's faithfulness and unfailing love all around you. You'd see how he's forgiven you. You'd see how he's poured out mercy on you. You'd see how he is providing for you. You'd see how he's brought comfort alongside you. You'd see how he gave you the ability to persevere. This is the call of Jesus. Don't be trying to take responsibility to put yourself in the unknown future that really the Lord is responsible for. Trust him right here and right now for today. This is, this is something I hope that, that each of us will do. Let me just kind of fast forward to the... Uh, the end of this message. And it's just, I want to say this to you. Psalm 116, verse 6. Psalm 116, verse 6. And why don't you say it with me? Ready? Say it. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. That's, that's part of why I brought this series called The Wonder Switch, because I do want you to experience the goodness of God's protection. He protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. Personally, I can point to several times in my life where I, I was facing death in a literal or figurative sense. But a couple of those I'll highlight for you. One was when I was uh, uh, 13 and a half, almost 14 years old, and I was facing death. I'll tell you what I mean by that. I did not really know Jesus Christ as my Savior, and because I didn't acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Savior in my life, I was facing death. In fact, anybody who doesn't know the Lord Jesus as Savior, you're facing death. Death. I mean, this is what the Scripture says, the wages of sin is death, and I was facing death because I didn't have a savior. I thought I would pay the price on my own by trying to be good. It doesn't work that way. And I was facing death. But I heard about the goodness of God in a youth group where I grew up in New Jersey. And I said yes to Jesus and his gift of salvation. I repented of my sins. I turned to him and asked him to forgive me and save me. I was facing death. And he saved me. He saved me. He heard my simple cry. I didn't know a lot. I probably had a lot of questions. In fact, I know I had a lot of questions still to ask and figure out about what does this really mean to be a Christian and follow the Lord? I didn't have all those answers. I just knew I, I hear the, the truth. I'm facing death because I do not know the Savior. And otherwise, all I've got is my sin. And the penalty is, is up to me if I don't know that Jesus is the Savior of my life. I was facing death and he saved me. 
And I want to invite somebody today, right now, to experience the saving work of Jesus Christ. Hey, just kind of wrapping up the message, and I asked the worship team to come on out at this time, but do you remember that ship, the, uh, the Ever Given, that was stuck in the Suez Canal? Remember that one? And, and it was such a big deal that it was stuck, and then it, it was a big deal that that ship got uh, unstuck out of the Suez Canal, and I, I talked about it in a message here, and... Uh, somebody tell the worship team to come on back out, by the way. I, I, think, they, I think they're out down at Starbucks or something. But it's taking them a while. Oh, there they are. Thank you. There he is. All right, you weren't at Starbucks. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> so that, it was a big deal that that ship got unstuck from the Suez Canal. And uh, do you know what, though? It got stuck again. It's stuck in the Suez Canal again. But it's stuck a different way. After it got uh, unstuck from all of the mud that it was stuck in, uh, the equivalent of the, the harbor patrol or whatever they would call it in Egypt, uh, they, they pulled the ship over and said, you're not leaving until you pay the bill. And it's $970 million. <laughs> we saved you. Pay up. Like, that was it, right? And it's still, it's, it's stuck. It's stuck in the port over there until they pay almost a billion dollars. Like, we saved you, now pay, right? I'm just so grateful that the saving work of Jesus Christ does not get accompanied by a bill that says, now you owe, but instead it's a free gift. This salvation in Jesus Christ is a free gift, and I want to make sure that somebody today can receive that. That saving grace of Jesus. And so would you pray with me? God, I pray that in this moment, you would allow some of us who, the, the truth is, it's like that scripture said in Psalm 116. I was facing death, but the Lord saved me. And I pray, Father, for a revelation to come. For some of us right now in this moment, that, that we don't have to stay in that place of facing death, but that we can come face to face with the source of life himself the Lord God Almighty. And we can, instead of facing death, we can face the Lord and receive his love. That We can face the Lord and receive his forgiveness. We can face the Lord and receive his kindness. We can face the Lord, receive his mercy. And while we're praying together for somebody, this is what you need to do today. You, you, you might say that word resonates with me. What you just kept saying, I was facing death and the Lord saved me. You need to turn to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and save you. You, you need to ask for his gift of salvation in this moment. You need to repent of your sins. Acknowledge that your sin is wrong in God's eyes, but that you want to be made right in his eyes. Ask him to forgive your sin and save your life. Turn to the cross of Jesus Christ. He paid the price in full. He demonstrated his unfailing love for you when he bore the, the price of your sin in his death on the cross. Turn to Jesus Christ and look to him and live. Turn to Jesus Christ. Stop staying stuck in sin and shame and guilt. You don't have to. Turn to Jesus. Ask for his gift of mercy and forgiveness. Stop playing religious games, thinking coming to a couple church services is what you really needed. What you actually need more than anything is to come to Jesus. And right here and right now, do it. Come to Jesus. 
You're, you're waiting. What are you waiting for? Come to Jesus. Ask him to forgive your sin and save your life. Have the humility to acknowledge, God, I am a sinner who needs to be saved. It's not just that you need to figure out how to try to be a better person. That'll never work. You need to come to Jesus. Ask him to forgive your sin and save your life. And for some of you who are believers right now, maybe the best thing you could do is just say, God, thank you for saving me. Oh, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me the gift of salvation. I was facing death. You saved me. For believers, just remind yourself of the goodness of God in your life that you are forgiven. But now I pray for someone else to have a spiritual awakening in this moment. If you are right now in this moment thinking, I, I need to do that. How do I do that? You take a moment and acknowledge your sin to God and say, Lord, this is my sin. I'm repenting of it and I'm turning to you. Would you forgive me and save me? Ask him for it. While we're praying together, if you are with me right now on campus or online, then type it into the comments. But if you're saying, I need Jesus, I need him to forgive my sin and save my life. Right now, would you just raise your hand? If that would be true of you, you would say, I need Jesus Christ to forgive my sin and save my life. I want you to raise your hand up right now. There is no hope of salvation outside of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He, the Son of God, paid such a price, and it's worth something. It's worth your acknowledgement of him. If you want to ask Jesus to forgive you and save your life in this room, on the patio, or online, you raise your hand. If you're online, you type it into the comments and say, Jesus, I need to ask you to forgive me and save me. And a couple of you with your hands raised, one in the back and uh, also in my left, you just, right now you pray and you say, Jesus Christ, I give you my life. Jesus Christ, I give you my life. I turn from my sin and I ask you to save me. I'm asking for your gift of salvation right now. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to come and be the Lord of my life. I need you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. God, as we're praying, I pray that you would allow some of us who have been beset by worry to be set free right now in this moment. Some of us who have been beset by anxiety, I pray, God, that it would be supernaturally just broken off of some of us right now in this moment. Thank you, Lord. While we're praying together, if you feel in this moment, if you sense, like, man, I, that's the weight I've been carrying. The weight of the world, that worry and anxiety thing, it's been like a, like a chain around my neck. And I, I need the Lord to break it off of me. Would you raise your hand? Just a, a, a several of you, thank you. A bunch of us. Thank you, Lord. Keep your hand up for a moment. Thank you, Jesus, for your freedom coming. You break every chain. 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 Thank you, Lord. I declare in this moment that you're breaking chains. You're moving in this place to break chains and bring freedom. I, I prophesy in this moment the weight of worry being lifted right now, supernaturally. Those of you who had a hand raised, now raise the other one, as in raise two hands in this moment. You, you had one hand raised because of that worry, raise the two of them right now. And declare with your hands raised, God, I, I'm surrendering it all to you. 
all of the worry, all of the concern, the weight of it all. Maybe some of you, you need to almost like reach your hands on the back of your neck and then just throw it like you're throwing something up to heaven. Like make it a prophetic act in this moment. Just take your hands and throw it. Cast your burdens on the Lord. He cares for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just sing out, Larry? He is here. He's moving. Sing it. Come on, let's worship. Just stand up. Let's worship together. Said he is moving. 